Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I am Andy Wood. Hey, Andy. How are things? They're pretty good. Uh, we're joined by someone I met. One of the first people I met in America. I've known him for a long time. Very, very funny comic. Finally got him on the show. It's Tommy Jonagan. Thank you for having me. Thanks for it's doing been, it. It was years, 12 years ago, maybe. Getting there, yeah. I think right on. We we uh, we used to celebrate every year, but uh, <laughs> we just got away from you that. You just kind of, after a while, you're like, it's, it's weird. Once you reach a certain age, it's yeah. weird to celebrate the sort of the, eighth or ninth year our of meeting someone. anniversary? Yeah. When we first meet? You know, when you're young, it's very exciting. You get the meat cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first year? Yeah. The first year is a meat, meat cake. cake. Yeah. And paper. Yeah, the paper cake. Then the diamond cake. That's mm. that's. I think that's the point that everyone drops off when it is the diamond cake, <laughs> and you're like, "This is the just jump from paper to diamonds." <laughs> it's very abrupt. It's quick. So expensive to really meet someone these days. <laughs> <laughs> you got to stay away from people. Hey, Tommy, how's? Uh, why don't we get? Why don't we get straight into it? Because we were chatting for far too long before we started recording. Uh, we like. Sorry, to... listeners. Yeah, that was just, that's that just for us. That could have been a separate podcast. <laughs> it could have been a whole. It was the last comic standing gossip from <laughs> 9 to t- 12 years ago. If there's a huge audience for people that like to hear gossip from uh, 12-year-old last comic standing seasons, then yeah. we have a podcast for you. You want to know who argued on the season <laughs> 5 tour bus? I really did. That's one of the few reality shows I really got into. Like I, I remember distinctly having strong opinions before I even did comedy and was watching that show. Yeah, It was huge when it first started. Yeah, Those... Uh, Season one through three or four probably were like and I, millions of viewers. I had never seen it before I did the show. Oh, that's really? a good way to do it. Which is, yeah, that's why it was really weird because it hadn't been shown in the UK at all until my season. Oh, that's right. And my season, the whole, the whole reason I'm in America at all, the, whole, the indirect reason this podcast even exists is because season five, their gimmick was we're going international. That's right. So and they, something from uh, people from every country that they went to. Yeah, so they did um, they did the American auditions, but they also went to Montreal, Sydney, and London. And they scooped up some Canadians, Brits, and Aussies. Who was the Aussie in your season? Or Aussies? Uh, well, none of them ended up making it through to the finals, which is why I was the last semi-finalist to get picked for the finals. And you can see me do... If the footage still exists somewhere, you can see me do a ludicrous double take because I... A hundred percent thought I wasn't going through. I would love to see that because I was a uh, because I I sort of gamed it out and gone. They haven't picked any Australians yet. They already had Jeannie Asheray, who was a Brit, who yeah. been picked through to the oh. final. So I was like, well, they've got their Brit. They've got two Canadians. They've got to take at least one Australian through. And Fiona Lachlan was in my semi final, and she'd crush and she's great. So I'm like, okay, it's going to be Fiona. You, s- I sort of look over to her and mouth the words, "It's going to be you," and then they call my name and I'm I do a. Like a spit take, basically. There were two Australians. One of them, I don't remember their names, but uh, after it wrapped and we had not made it, I was uh, just talking. I was like, I think I'm going to rent a car and drive up the one to San Francisco. And this guy that I had met 36 hours ago was like, I'll come. (laughs) So the two of us just drove to San Francisco up the one, stayed at a hotel, and then... I don't know if we, I think we had to have come back. I don't know what happened. With, I think I came back with him, and we just had this four-day adventure together. And I don't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> was it Adam Hunter? Because he was. Oh, there was. I him. wish I could. I'd like to remember his name. And the other guy. Uh, who was it? I'm trying to remember who the other Australian was who was on it. The other guy. I don't know if you curse on here, but the other guy had a sure a funny observation of. I it's 
I don't even know if it's funny, but I thought it was, <laughs> where um, we were at the pool and he comes down and he was like blown away because he had just ordered a porn. And he was like, this American porn, guys. And he was, he's, I'm not going to do an Australian accent. But he was like, I, I don't think he was doing a bit. I think he literally just watched it and came down and was like, this girl was saying like, I want you to fuck that pussy and he's like it's it's yours it's not that he was he he couldn't get over the grammar in our porn he was like it's so bad they're like what do you mean that dick it's your dick why are you saying that dick and he i, I, I understand possession he, he did not he did not enjoy it i was looking at the other finalists your year a fair number of uh past guests of the show mike kaplan Laurie kilmartin james adomian yeah because this is the thing we did we were talking about this just before the show we did the semi-final together uh which Tommy didn't get seven. through, yeah. I, I, but then I two bounced. years later, you got did much better than me in the in, in 2010, two which later. was good because there was no house that year. There wasn't my year either. We just stayed in the Sheraton. Oh, oh nice. you were the Geraldo Natasha, yeah, Geraldo Kindler, Geraldo Natasha Kindler, um, and two deaths. Oh, that was Mike, on the two death oh, season. Jesus, yeah, Mike and uh, Greg. I was working at Helium in Portland when Greg died, and he was scheduled to be. The headline helium the week after I had to call people who had tickets and tell them why they can't come to the show. Oh my god! So like breaking the news about someone they love's death—that's going to be great job. now because yeah. with Twitter you just kind of don't do yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. And you just hope everyone sees a retweet. Yeah. Did anyone get upset about it? Did they, I mean not? I mean not, yeah. I mean, not, was, not upset. It was news to people. Sorry, I don't you know, mean like get I'm, upset because it's sad news. Did anyone get pissed about it in a kind like, of dick about way? The like actual like ticket refund. Yeah, like fuck it. <laughs> I don't think so. Don't Were think people so. Um, immediately over the death when you offered them two free tickets? Of course. That's yeah, how it happens. To a, a midweek open <laughs> mic. <and laughs> give you some jalapeno poppers and salve that wound. Yeah, he was great. Um, R.I.P. Greg and, and Mike. Uh, how do we get off of this bad subject into something cheerier? I'm still trying to remember exactly who the... Uh... Well, you're going deep diving these Australian guys? Yeah, was it... I'm trying to remember who the other Aussie was. Was it Lindsay Webb? Was it? I don't even. I, I wouldn't even. I I couldn't. If you said it, <laughs> if he was here, I probably wouldn't remember driving to San Francisco. Oh, it's a bummer, and I, I don't know why. I can't figure out why. Yeah. It, I think it's just memorable. because it's not even not memorable. I think we spent such a tiny amount of time together. It just was in a car driving to San Francisco, yeah. so it's like a unique story. But still, in, in the yeah, scheme I can think of, things, of comics that probably I drove just not weirdly in this kind of situation, but as a as a, a four-hour car drive. There are times as a new comic that you just go, okay, I'm picking up this guy and driving yeah. him six hours yeah. there and back to a gig. Yeah, I don't know who I was featuring for when I drove to like Miles City, Montana, which was a thousand miles from where I lived right? in Portland, to do a triple <laughs> run for a hundred dollars a night. Yeah, um, but I was in a car with somebody. I wasn't alone. I don't know who it was. Those days when it's part of being a uh, a comic on the show is driving the other guy. Yeah. I never really loved that deal. No. I mean, usually at least the headliner would cover gas, which is better than driving yourself and losing all of your tiny bit of income to gas. <laughs> those, God, those... Tri- so you never did a triple run. Neither of you have actually done one. No, I lived in the... the uh, I think too far Midwest to have that uh, Are, triple there run. Yoder? Is that a thing? I did all the Yoders and... Chuck Johnson and uh, what's that southern one? There's a charter talent, which I think was fake. Uh, it was a, a, a comic that ran it, I believe, mm-hmm. under a fake name. Oh, great. And um, awesome. there's one other. Uh, they do uh, 
the southern stuff. I didn't do too much for him, like Joel Pace or something. For the listeners, these are shows booked by a <laughs> private individual who just sets up like uh, a lot of times oh, in, the, in the triple ones, they would just be, you know, bars. They wouldn't be traditional comedy venues and you just have one night and then just driving 500 miles the next day to the next one and the pay it's, isn't very good. It's basically a way for you to sit in an office and make more than the comedian driving <laughs> a thousand miles. The the UK equivalent would is Jeff Whiting kind of has a bunch of thing? gigs. Jeff Whiting has for an organization called Mirth Control. Oh God. <laughs> where, uh, and, and he has hundreds of gigs that he's run over the years. And again, they were like, it's some of them are amazing some of them are decent some of them are bad and they're just these series of one-nighters all dotted around the country that are for many people your first there was some of the first times i gigged with a professional comedian because i had a car and i was willing to drive almost any distance some of the shows are decent to good some of them are the worst thing that's ever happened to you and then you're always getting ripped off in the sense of paid less than the venue would pay you and less than half of what the venue is paying usually like sometimes i actually had to pay the booker out of like the venue would give oh that's the dirty pool i know what you're talking about yeah or cash and i realize oh this venue is paying i don't know let's just say it's well my part whatever I- i'm getting a check for more than double what i'm getting and i'm only gonna get and you have to mail it back to i have to send him the the bulk of the money that i just made him my buddy for. headlined one of those uh in like west virginia and he was making $300 and they gave him, they accidentally gave him the check and it was two grand. Oh, for oh, the full Jesus. amount. <laughs> so basically that booker made, was making, because it was a weekly gig, he was yeah. making $2,000 a week and paying uh, $300 and $150. So he's, he was paying 450 all in <laughs> and pocketing the rest of it every single week. He's providing a great service though. Making <laughs> a phone call, <laughs> exploiting a comic. Sending out a mass email. We like to ask our guests, what, if anything, is your background in science? And that's ranged from people who did classes or college courses to people who had a teacher they liked or hated to people who blew stuff up in the woods with their friends. No, I would say I'm pretty close to zero. I'm, I'm on the none scale. <laughs> <laughs> zero to none. I, I, I don't. I mean, I have like the I would say the literal minimum amount required to graduate high school. Mm hmm. So whatever the minimum amount is, I know. Get some earth science in there. Probably some, um, at least a touch of chemistry, I'm guessing. Right? I'm on the internet, so sure. there's oh, other, yeah. other science that's come through me. I've experienced, I've been science adjacent. <laughs> um, what did you, did you go to college or did you? I went to, for a, a short period of time. I started, I started stand up so young and then I started touring at 19 or 20. So I dropped out oh, damn. to go on the road. And um, I, I think, I, well, I do, I, I do have a, what of uh, an associate's degree? Okay, from a two-year place. What was that in? Um, uh, arts. I think it's just an associate <laughs> of arts, and then I went to a, a four-year for a semester and a day or something like that, and then and dropped. Just like I'm already, I found the thing I want to do. Yeah, I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out of here. Stop wasting everybody's time. <laughs> was there any parental uh, discussion there? Were they I thought I was worried because my mom, uh, my stepdad was paying for my school, and I was. I was certain that I wanted to drop out, and then I was also very um, aware that I need to make sure to get at least this semester refunded so I have some good news. And that was what I led with. I just called, and I go, you're going to be getting a refund check. And he was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I go, I was able to drop all the classes early enough that you're going to get the money back because I'm moving to Chicago to do stand-up. And I braced myself for uh, 
something awful. I thought he was going to be furious, disappointed, sad. And he goes, are you sure? And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, college will always be there. Wow. Let us know if you need anything. It was the nicest. I cried in my car when he did it. Because I was, I, was, I was in my car because I was like, I'm not having him yell at me in a house. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to be in a car. And, and if it goes really bad, you can kind of rage drive for a bit. <laughs> yeah. That car, I, there is that bubble of the car where you can just go, I can yell. I can get I on can the freeway do, and I can yeah. yell. Yeah. And just the people in the car over might think that I'm singing or something. They won't know. I'm just they yelling. I have no idea I'm losing my shit. <laughs> That's really cool, though. Yeah, it's like it's like you're going pro. And uh, it's like this is your time. This is your... Why not go for it? You can come back and finish up that kinesiology degree later on. <laughs> yeah. I was going for what is uh, uh, mass communications. What got me to leave was I was in a class and the teacher was like uh, the professor. This whole class of kids, she it was day one, and she was going, um, "Here's all the things you can do with this degree," and everybody was writing these random jobs. She's just yelling and naming jobs like advertising. You can do this. You can do that. And every I was everyone was writing, and it blew me away. I was like, I think I'm the only one in here that knows what they want to do. And it's none of these. <laughs> so I just left. And that teacher, I told her I was dropping out and to, to do stand-up. And she was like, I did stand-up when I was in college. And I didn't pursue it. And there was this like sense of the future of if I didn't drop out. She was like, I'm a professor now. But I could have been a comedian. Uh, she was like envious that I was doing it. it was, right. It was, pretty, it was a weird just coincidence. Just like slightly wistful, even though she's yeah. a professor. Oh, man. You're going you're gonna to love being a comedian. Get, get away from these stupid kids. <laughs> <laughs> and then you spend the first five years doing college gigs. Oh, my God. Exclusively stupid kids. I did, a, I did a show at that. My favorite thing was I did a show at the school I dropped out of uh-huh. for, at the time, the most money I had ever been paid to do stand-up. This was, like, into my career. This was It was not, like, $300. It was a lot of money. Right. And I go to the show. I was kind of excited to go back to the school I dropped out of. And I get there, and uh, the the woman that's the head of the committee is like, we put the wrong month on the date. <laughs> like, so uh, this this show has been promoted all over campus for this date next month. And tonight, there's this other event so I was like, oh, God, what happened? She goes, well, we have someone that's knocking on doors in one of the dorms right now to see if anybody wants to come. <laughs> and I was like, holy Jesus. Jesus Christ, what's happening? So I sit in this room of a thousand empty chairs. There's a thousand empty chairs. This is for your grand homecoming. And this, uh, this, kid, comes, this kid comes back and he's just like, kind of has this face of like, no one, no one, I don't know anybody. No one's here. <laughs> and the, the, the lady just goes, did you well, knock hard? <laughs> she goes, I, uh, I'm so sorry. And then she gives me the check and she's like, did you want any food or anything before you go? And I was like, hold on. I'm going to take the most money <laughs> and I have I just sat in a chair for 20. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I don't need anything from you. I've gotten, That's I'm out of here before you realize what happened. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The least you could do is buy me a proper dinner. <laughs> wow. It was, a, it was a great, that happened there and at St. Louis university, two colleges, that I drove to from my home. Oh, because it's not like... And no one showed up I've had and a, they just gave me my check. I've had a couple like that before. I haven't done a college gig in a while, but what, I did quite a few when I first came here and I had at least one where the gig did go ahead, but it was miserably... Oh, like, like there was four no one, people? It was a bit more than that, but it was, but it was one specifically that I remember where I had to fly 
it was to Pennsylvania or something. It was way across yeah. the country. And I don't think it was even a direct flight. And my return flight was at something like six in the morning. It's always the worst. Because that's the only time you can get flights that go back at that time. Yeah, yeah. So, or, or the return flight was at nine in the morning. But yeah. it, that included a two-hour drive back to the airport. Yes. And returning the hire car. So I had to set my alarm for like 5.30. But I remember the gig being just empty. It was, I think, blizzardy. So there was, and they programmed it on the weekend. And then they were like, yeah, most people actually go home for the weekend because a lot of our <laughs> students live around the area. But, uh, you know, we like to put something on for the some people who are here. So <laughs> just just perfect. Again, it was this, ma- this big hall with maybe yeah. 17 people scattered around it. And you go like, and they go yeah. like, all right, so uh, you're going to do an hour, right? That's then the you, longest hour you, of your life. You collect your check and then you... Yeah, that's when you feel like you earn the money. Yep. It's oh, like, yeah. this is a lot, but I feel like I, I need it to, get, to not... But I, I think still this. a bit of me would rather do the gig than if they just went, you know what, let's just call it off and here's your check, go back to your hotel room. I enjoyed so that two times. Maybe 17 people, but not like one or two. Yeah, if it's like that. I've done one for three people, and one of them was the headliner. There's a couple, and then the headliner <laughs> sat in the audience to be the third audience. Oh, member. God. It's like, why are we going through this? This is uh, just to make each other laugh. The two I had a few of those doing Edinburgh, particularly previewing. My, my first year that yeah. I did the Edinburgh Festival, where I was ha- trying to preview the show as much as possible, and it was I'd never even done an hour, really, until I started previewing that show. And there was one where the only people who showed up to this preview were one couple. So I did an hour just to these two people, and the woman who ran the theater also kind of sat in sort I don't of know the if back I could of the do room. It. And it, it was weird. It was like yeah. I was basically talking to. I, I, it, was, it was like a, a speed selfish date conversation. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was at a club, and they. Um, it was. I think it was like a Vegas room or something. I can't remember where. But it was one of those ones where the manager was super nervous about losing their job, which is a, a horrible place to be in your life. I'm, uh, you know, it's just like terrifying and it sucks. So four people show up to the show and uh, he comes up and I was like, I'm I'm not. I mean, we you can take the money or whatever, but this if we do a show for four people, they're never going to come see comedy again. I go, you're going to be in a better position if you just give these people tickets to come back to an actual show so they don't feel uncomfortable. And a drinks voucher or something. And drink, yeah, I was like, just they take will care be of them yeah. and tell them, make up an excuse. And he was just like, oh my God, he's so, he's so stressed. And then as he's like figuring out how to get tickets, two other people walk in and they sit down and he comes up and he goes, what do we do now? And I'm like, the same thing. <laughs> it's, it's now just six people. You just do the same thing you were going to do, but two more times. This is not a turn of events here. <laughs> Well, this all made sense so yeah. five minutes ago, but we're in a it different... Was, we're the over-under wasn't now. five. Yeah. <laughs> we're not doing this. The paradigm hasn't shifted. Yeah. What do I do well, now? Six-person comedy shows <laughs> great. So funny to me, just in this, <laughs> this hopeful tone yeah. of, what do we... Yeah. Huh? We got a huh? show. We got a show on our hands. At this rate, <laughs> by the time you're done, there'll be nine people here. <laughs> oh, God. Am I the worst guest? It feels like there's not been a lot of science. Is no, that my I was, fault? No, not at all. And okay. actually, this reminded me of a, an article I read last night um, that is a little bit scientific, at least psychological, um, which is science. We've, I think we've been to... Uh, we've been berated <laughs> enough times for maligning... You guys had a hard line for a while? Psychology and uh, geography as well. That was the other one, until we had some geographers write in and like, this is fucking science. <laughs> No, yeah, psychology obviously is real science. It's just the fact that there's so many studies that don't hold up to replication in psychology. Yeah. But um, anyway, you, you were talking about finding this 
calling. Like you had a passion for comedy, so you pursued it. Um, but this is uh, an article in the Atlantic that I was recently reading. It actually came out last year. I about don't even how, know what story you're about to do. This is exciting uh, for me. Yes, about how finding your passion is awful advice. Um, I'll send you the link right now, Matt. One second. So, yeah, I mean, we've all heard our whole lives that you should follow your passion, blah, blah, blah. Um, I just lost the article. One second. Oh. Okay. There's a little edit point as well. Yep. Cool. Mm-mm-mm. Carol Dweck, a psychology professor at Stanford, remembers asking an undergraduate seminar recently, how many of you are waiting to find your passion? Almost all of them raised their hands and got dreamy looks in their eyes. They talked about it uh, like a tidal wave would sweep over them. Um, would they have unlimited motivation for their passion? They nodded solemnly. I hate to burst your balloon, but it doesn't happen that way. Uh, what Dweck asked her students is a common refrain in American society. The term follow your passion has increased ninefold in English books since 1990. Find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. It's another college counseling standby of unknown providence. But according to Dweck and others, that advice is steering people wrong. Um, the consequences of that are like if you do something that feels like work, that means you don't love it. Um, and they gave examples of students who jump from lab to lab, finding, uh, trying to find one research topic that feels like a passion. It's this idea that if they're not completely overwhelmed by emotion when they walk into a lab, then that won't be a passion or interest. Um, so this is why two co-authors, Dweck and Greg Walton of Stanford, recently published a study that suggests it might be time to change the way we look at our interests. Passions aren't found, they argue, they're developed. In a paper in Psychological Science, the authors delineate the difference between the two mindsets. One is a fixed theory of interest, the idea that core interests are there from birth, just waiting to be discovered. And the other is a growth theory, the idea that interests are something anyone can cultivate over time. So they uh, examined how these different mindsets affect pursuit of topics by performing a series of studies on college students, um, which is that group that's frequently advised to find their passion. So first, students answered a survey that would categorize them as either, quote, techie, slang for interest in math and science or fuzzy meaning interest in the arts or humanities you can very much tell who pro, who designed this study yeah, yeah. definitely uh, not a fuzzy mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, techie slash we'll call that the cool group um, <laughs> and then people who are interested artsy, in like, science yeah. yeah just sort of just just sort of dull twats let's call that the dull twat group so they also filled out a survey determining how much they agreed with the idea that people's core interests don't change over time they then read an article that mismatched their interests. So a piece on the future of algorithms is what the people who were fuzzies would see and the techies would see a piece on Dorita? Dorita? I'm such a non-fuzzy. I don't know what that is. Dorito? D-E-R-R-I-D-A. Jacques Dorita, who is an Algerian-born French philosopher. Um, so yeah, the more participants endorsed a fixed theory of interest, the less interested they were in the article that mismatched their identity as a techie or fuzzy. The authors then repeated a similar procedure, but they had students read first about either the fixed theory of interest or the growth theory. Again, those who learned that interests are fixed throughout a person's life were less captivated by an article that mismatched their interests. The authors believe this could mean that students who have fixed theories of interest might forego interesting lectures or opportunities because they don't align with their previously stated passions, or that they might overlook ways that other disciplines can intersect with their own. So if passions are truly things that come fully formed, uh, your job is to look around the world for your passion. That's a crazy thought. It doesn't reflect the way I, this is a Walton talking, or my students experience school where you go to a class, have a lecture or conversation, you think that's interesting. It's, a, it's through a process of investment and development that you develop an abiding passion in a field. It also says another reason not to bind to the fixed theories it could cause people to give up too easily. If something becomes difficult, it's easy to assume that it must not be your passion. Uh, in one portion of the study, the students who thought interests were fixed but were also 
were also less likely to think that pursuing a passion would be difficult at times. Instead, they thought it would provide endless motivation. Yeah, this. I mean, th- I, this. This seems gray area ish to me, and uh, l- the idea of they've kind of framed it in a very specific way yeah. of finding your passion and are you a techie or a fuzzy type stuff where um and this is not about me but mine was like when i was seven years old i was like i'm going to be a comedian and i was just that i thought my that was my passion and i just followed it and at times it was very hard and at times it was very fun so i look at a thing like this and i go well i just feel like maybe you're pigeonholing the choices of like what is your passion at this university what passion would you study where i think a lot of times when you're a kid it's like well i want to be a a drummer that you're going to be that's going to be uh kind of taken out of you like beaten out of you for lack of i was trying to avoid that pun but i didn't (laughs) it'll be beaten out of you by the time you're old enough to be pursuing a career where people will go you're not going to make any money it's going to be too hard so when you get to college and it's like, well, what is your passion? You're like, I think it's math. I think it's accounting. Right? Maybe. I think my dad said it's a doctor. I should be a doctor. So that, it's just a long way of following your passion feels like linked in with education and finance too much. Mm-hmm. In in a in a in a I think it's a, a wrong way of. It yeah. shouldn't be your income. It's it sort of. It, I mean, this some of this definitely resonates with me. There are definitely elements to which. I think particularly if you are pursuing something that is vocational, like we are all doing things that are things that we really, like I, I do comedy and writing because I love doing it. Yeah. And, but also it's become my career, but there, there's definitely elements where you do have to be reminded the people, my friends, the friends of mine who are the most successful at comedy or in the business are nearly always the ones who've also worked the hardest. Yes. And it, I think it's easy to forget because you're doing something that you Hey, this is fun and I love it and I do it anyway. That you're like, no, you need to sit out. Yeah. You also the people who treat it the most like a job, job. Yeah, and that's not and that's not to say it's not their passion. It's just right. they are very hardworking. It's such an easy this job specifically as a comedian in any way <laughs> is like such an easy job to be lazy. Yes, oh, it's lazy. like yeah. so because if you if you get to the point where you have your half hour and you want to feature or you have your hour and you're headlining. You just you have it, and if you choose not to add and change it, you can drink all night and sleep until two. Go see a movie, start drinking, go to a sh- like yeah. you can do nothing. Maybe once a month, come up with half a new bit, and then feel really proud of yourself. Like I've yeah. already done a something. I've done something different. Yeah, now. you go to the open mic and you do the thing that's new to you, but it's two years old. Yeah, it's like oh, this is this is super simple to be lazy at. Mm-hmm. That actually relates to another part of the study. They also had students learn about either fixed or the fixed or growth theory and then expose them to a new interest, which was astronomy. Uh, first, they had them watch a video made by The Guardian for a general audience about Stephen Hawking's ideas. So that was easy to understand and entertaining. Then they had them uh, read a really technical, challenging article in science about black holes. So despite saying that moments ago after viewing the video, they were fascinated by black holes, the students who were exposed to the fixed theory of interest said they were no longer interested in black holes after reading the difficult article. In other words, when you're told your interests are somehow ingrained, you give up on new interests as soon as going, going as soon as the going gets tough, which is interesting. Like if you're told, it's also interesting you can like change someone's behavior by just exposing them to this theory that thing, a thing is fixed or isn't that they'll like. Yeah, not when you say it's a, that about way. an eighteen to twenty-two year old. 
Yeah. I feel like yeah. they're, that's a really, they don't, they're not uh, fully formed yet. Mm-hmm. And it is a brain that, especially if you're coming in and you're a Stanford professor and you're like, hey, I want you to participate in this thing. You kind of have a uh, a little um, nerves in your brain where you're like, man, I, I really got to kill this study. Right, right. I, I definitely, when I was at school, like high school, I was all in for the sciences. And I just, I kind of very much resisted any of the art subjects and also didn't really understand how they worked. And I don't, I don't just, know. You're just I don't, like, why would I go paint? No, even more, <laughs> like... like uh, English or essay writing, I didn't understand... We've talked about this a bit on this show before. Yeah. I didn't understand the concept of writing an essay. Uh-huh. I think I was just all into the... I was all in for the sciences, and I just... When it came to things like English or history or whatever, I couldn't get the idea around my head of you can pick a side of an argument and argue it. Oh, I, I see. I, I couldn't... Yeah, There I could, must be a correct and an incorrect. Yeah. So it, you, it, need it, ma- you need math, too. You're it, like, I want this to be this. Basically, yeah. That. You know, in my mind, English lessons, like it, you would... The teacher would introduce a book and you'd read it uh, yourself or in the class or whatever. And then the teacher would sort of teach you what the book was about because there's the right answer about yeah, what it's about. you'd learn there's what the a... book was about, and then in the exam, they would ask you a question about the book, and you would remember from the lessons what the book was about, and you would do your best to explain the correct answer mm-hmm. to what the book was about. Like that was that was that was the best that I could understand of how to do English. That yeah. w- I think I would I would almost when you're explaining it, I'm like I think that's how that I sounds was right. Yeah, because <laughs> I I didn't like. Uh, I I love to argue, but when it comes to school, I'm like, why are we having a thing where there's a debate here? Like, yeah, I don't. I didn't. If I'm at school, you should be teaching me something. And same thing happens <laughs> with with history. For example, at school, it was in my head, it was the same deal. You go like, no, in history, you learn about this event or these events, and you learn the dates, and you learn what created this political situation or yeah. this war or whatever, or why these people migrated here, and then in the exam. They will ask you a question about that, and then you remember the information, and you put it in the most yeah. concise way possible to explain to the examiner what you I remember right about answer. how this thing happened. Again, rather than... It, it was, it's understandable. I mean, you're saying it as if it's so obviously wrong now, but I, I still have those residual feelings about all this <laughs> stuff. Like, I, I get so mad in high school when someone would just find some meaning that obviously the author didn't put in the thing. I'm like, he didn't write that. Yeah. You can't say that's in there. It's like, you could say whatever you want is in there. Like, yeah, but it's not in there. You're just like projecting onto this well, maybe thing. Well, like, maybe the author didn't even realize that, but this is a way to interpret the <laughs> right. situation that the author laid out. Like, why don't we just ask the author? Yeah. He's still alive. We can write a letter to the author and find out whether we're right or not. Do the Roddy Dangerfield back to school, uh, Kurt Vonnegut yeah. thing, just have him come over. <laughs> that happens, uh, I've had that happen to me about my own stand-up, where someone will say, oh, when you, you this is, it's funny because of this, or when you said that, it does this, and it, most of the time, it's far smarter than what I was doing, <laughs> and I just am like, "Yeah, yeah I'm not." Many people pick up on that, buddy. But you're the guy. You're, you caught the exact meaning, the symbolism about my own childhood when I talk about my daughter shitting in a bathtub. That's you did it. <laughs> I'm guessing that's a real thing that happened. My daughter sh- tried to. Uh, she her. her they're, my kids are three and six. So they take tubs together, and uh, she uh, re- realizes when she farts, it bubbles. Now, 
so she's a very funny kid. So she was trying to Is get this a the laugh. The older or the younger one? The that... older one's very funny. They're both very funny, but she was trying to make her sister laugh by bubbling the tub and accidentally shit the bath. And I just hear uh, they're dying laughing. I'm I I go and it's just floating. There's this oh, moment no. where like I immediately blame the little one because she's the closest to have shit herself. Like the mo- in our family, she's shit herself most recently. So I was like, "What did you do?" And then she goes, "My older one goes, I was trying to make the bubbles and a, a bunch of poop came out." And we all I I talked to my wife afterwards. I was like, "I don't I didn't do any parenting. All I did was laugh." And I, re- I really, we all loved it. <laughs> then they went upstairs. My wife took them upstairs to shower, and I'm just left with the shit tub. And I was like, "Oh man, there it is. That's the that's the second level of the joke." <laughs> and have I just encouraged this behavior for the rest for of sure. their lives for laughs? She is. She'll always go for. She'll always go for the laugh. So I appreciated. I don't even know if there's a reason to get mad. I could definitely. When I was talking to my wife, I was like, I can definitely see a situation where a parent walks into a bathtub of a kid that's been potty trained for four years and it's full of shit. I could see someone being mad about that, but I don't think it's the right move. I think she was doing a joke. I I tweeted about it because I was like, she was trying to be funny by farting in the tub, but she shit and it was way funnier. And the lesson in comedy is that joke's never done. Always keep working. Yeah, I don't see anything good that'll come of being like... Uh, you can't be mad about no, that. No, it's, yeah. It was so fun. Hasn't it, happened since, though? No, no. <laughs> the thing that's... I don't know. I mean, I'd love to find out. I've honestly... And this is not trying to segue into a podcast, but I've, I've probably talked about this on my podcast where I really want to know the science of why is a fart funny because it is funny from... I want to say birth when they're 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 la- they're smiling because it feels good. I think, mm-hmm. but my kids have laughed, have thought it was hilarious forever. And I think as a parent, you're supposed to say like we don't do that around people and we don't do it. In public. I've never done that, and my wife has never done that. We always, my daughter will like legs above her ears at dinner and just shoot one in your like it's a full fart house, and they think it's the funniest thing in the world. And I didn't teach that. I didn't tell them that that's really funny. They just love it. So yeah, why, I'd love to know why that's funny. funny. I was trying to come up with a theory as you were asking that. Is it like a ventriloquism thing? Like the fact that it's a sound that almost sounds like it should be coming from your mouth, your mouth's closed. And- the, the thing is, it's it's a. I think it's a funny sound, to your point. But the thing that's weird to me about it is it's something everyone does, and it's very common, and it happens. And but to the farter, it's never a surprise. But it's still funny. Like generally a joke, there's a turn and there's a surprise element to it. Uh-huh. And you're not, it would be like, uh, you're, you know, if you just laughed through your own act, mm-hmm. you're not laughing through your own act because you know you're about to say the thing. But a fart, my kids are dying over them. I don't know. There's got to be science. If, if farts didn't smell, would they be funny? I think it's funny. I think the sound is funnier than the smell. I think it's if partly never the smelled. fact that it's it's there's a taboo nature to it. I think it's, Maybe because it's really close to something that's bad. <laughs> like again, although it was funnier when your daughter actually chatted in the boat. Yeah. But if you yeah. did that on the regular, but is, and shitting is unhygienic, and you have the humans definitely have an inbuilt revulsion to shit, which is hardwired and it's weird, but is and it deep. Beca- I think so from a childhood. I think so, and it's partly because 
it's I unhealthy get, to eat. Yeah, from an evolutionary point of view, you don't want to be near it, and so you have a you have a revulsion to things like feces it's, it's and, a, and your vomit. own sh- it, aren't you your own shit? Is it smelling to protect you though? In in evolution, I, I, mean, I think, I think there are just... there are all sorts of things, but one of the reasons shit smells and like and vomit does as well, and you just don't want to be near it, is because you have an inbuilt because that's that's signaling illness or infection or disease or whatever the oh. bacteria, and so your body is hardwired genetically over okay. years of, over years of evolution to avoid that. Yeah. Whereas farting is kind of <laughs> close shit, to, shit adjacent. Yeah, like if if you go back to um. I, I still I'm still not convinced it's the fully the benign violation theory. Yeah, accurate universal explanation. But that is uh if you read the book The Humor Code, we had uh Peter McGraw, do you know him? And his I, know, his, I don't know his the book, I haven't read the book. He's based uh, out of Denver. Joel, but I'll look but anyway, his his theory as to what makes people laugh. And there's been hundreds of theories over the years and I think his theory about laughter in general? Laughter and humor, where humor oh. comes from. His theory is which I think has some truth and some accuracy is the benign violation theory, which is laughter comes when something is a violation, mm-hmm. but sufficiently benign that you're okay with it, and too too violating and you don't find it funny because you go oh that's just too harsh or too unpleasant. Okay. Too benign and it's just like it doesn't make you laugh because it's just too soft and not enough. So comedy comedy sits in that kind of golden region of something that shocks or upset but in a comfortable way that is reassuring yeah. in a way and other things fall under that like you could that that's an explanation for why tragedy plus time you know or why something could be too soon or whatever yeah yeah, it's yeah. Not and people's windows are different as well where like some people might find like a an npr panel show too soft or whatever and uh, oh, radio 4 is the equivalent uh and other people but other people might find like the Doug Stanhope's act too harsh, yeah, yeah, and too much. But for other people, it goes no. That sits in exactly the sweet spot of oh, that's it's pushing it just enough, but at the same time, I'm still comfortable with where it yeah. lands. So I'm wondering if a thought sits in that <laughs> golden area of like it's close to something that is incredible that's that humans are desi- find are revolted by, and but is you're just- saying genetically revolted by? Yes, exactly. That's, my thing is, I thought it was like a learned. You're not supposed to do that, and then when you do it, that's what makes it funny. But I, when I have two kids well, that I think have it, never heard "Don't do it" and they still laugh, so you're saying it's it has that it does that violation, just in it's in their DNA that that's not. I think a there thing might be some of that. To do. It might also be the shock and the surprise of the noise. Yeah. Even like blowing a raspberry on a kid's belly makes them laugh. Like yeah. from a baby, you can you can make a baby laugh by blowing a raspberry on their belly from when they're pretty young. Yeah. Uh, and I'm wondering if that—that's also the noise—is somehow inherently funny to them. It's—it's it's a surprise. It startles, and then even—even <laughs> even when the farter knows that they're about to fart, they see the reaction yeah. of other people. They and it's funny to surprise people. They're not expecting it to happen. Yeah. So you suddenly fart at the dinner table, and they're like, "Oh." I don't mind it uh, from the, especially um, with two daughters. It's like I'm not gonna uh, try to when I you know you're not gonna do that with a boy. I don't think you're not gonna be as aggressively like don't fart. So I'm just like we're we're all, we're doing an equal rights thing here, but uh, my oldest, I don't I'm never gonna tell her to stop. But she's there's too much production now. Like I was saying, like she's like a magician that just paces the stage, and it's like so much pre fart where I'm like, you if you're gonna do it, just do it. She's, you're you overselling the bit. Yeah, you can't sell it so hard. 
I've been trying to find an article about why farts are funny. If you start, if you type in why are farts, it will autocomplete to funny. But um, See, there you not finding any great science behind it. They just, they just are. Yeah, it's. I think it's also that What's sort that of one theory, benign, benign violation. I think like, it's also why, like, when you, when you chase, kids like being chased as well by people that they know are safe. Yeah, like it's funny to <laughs> from quite a young age. You know, when the kids are hanging out in the garden at a party and. You, one of the adults decides to be a monster and chases them around the garden yeah. and they're all screaming and laughing. But again, it's that sort of, they're being scared but in a safe way. They know that this person is actually their uncle or their parent's That's friend good, or whatever. My kid, we're, uh, I'm a very like hide around the corner and then jump out and scream and scare my daughter. Right. I've done that. And then now uh, the the thing I did not know would happen is I live in a haunted house. Like I do not feel safe. <laughs> she is not exaggerating legitimately good at scaring you and adult. And it's, there's moments where it's, you know, she's been in bed for 30 minutes mm-hmm. and she silently comes up the stairs. She did it the other night and screamed. And my reaction was I put an arm over my wife and I screamed, <laughs> fuck like, <laughs> I I, I, it took, I did all that before I recognized it was my daughter. Oh, she just comes with a loud. And I was like, "Fuck!" And, I'm, and my wife's like, "What are you?" I'm like, "That's what are you doing?" That's we're in bed. We are defenseless. You're looking and throw you in front of it. Yeah, you've taught. Uh, I was going to say you're you're doing good parenting with the not uh, chastising the farting, but something else is going wrong up there. People they can come terrify you in bed. Oh my god, it's want. very it's. It's immediately. How do you close that door? I would say uh, most of it is. I go, Chase, fuck, that was a good one. It's it all <laughs> happens in that amount in that amount of time. God, jeez, that was good, nice. <laughs> is the three year old pretty funny too? She's funny in a different way. She's like, um, uh, I would say like my older one uh, has like a sense of humor and doesn't mind being the butt of a joke. If that makes any sense mm-hmm. for that age, like one time she. <laughs> was sprinting in. We were at a birthday party and just sprints into a, a, a clear glass door that was closed mm-hmm. and just goes, Good and then falls. And I knew she was okay, but I laughed super hard. And she sees me and she starts laughing. All the other parents are like, fuck, man, wait. Like, <laughs> she could have killed her. I'm like, but she didn't. And it's hilarious. <laughs> then she like tried to do that as a bit on accident. She was like, oh, I walked into the door again. But my youngest, once when she, she'll be funny... And she's trying to be funny, and it's all fun. But if she feels for one second like you're laughing at her or oh. she's not in on the joke, she gets furious. Where my other one will, like, embarrass herself for the bit or kind of do that. She'll play along. The little one doesn't. Just She's tiny, but she does not like to feel like the butt of a joke. You think it's right. just an age thing? Like, she'll grow out of that? Or I, think is I don't know. I think I have thing. that. Yeah. The thing that my youngest one has... It's like a mix of when I was a kid, I loved getting a laugh, but if I felt like I didn't get furious, but I got like super embarrassed. I remember having like many moments as a child because my dad would make me the butt of a joke. Mm -hmm. One time he told, uh, I was watching a movie with my neighbor and I was 13 and 12. She was 15 and she sat on my lap during this movie and I got blue balls and I didn't know it. And I told my dad, I was like, my stomach hurts. I feel like I've been kicked in my balls. And he was like, oh, you have uh, what's called blue balls. And he explained blue balls to me and explained the only thing to do. And to fi- the only thing he was like, there's one solution. <laughs> there's only one solution here. Science oh has God. only found one solution uh, so, as yet. So I was, I was like, oh, my God, don't tell anybody. And then I just, I remember just being like, I just need to walk around the block. So I just like walked around the block. And then I came inside and it was that girl's mom 
my stepmom and like three of my dad's friends and my uncle and I walked in the door and they all start laughing. Oh god. Oh that's and harsh. That's, I was like that would really I was fun. like I didn't I told you not to tell anybody. And he was like I only told these guys. And I was like that's everybody. That's all the people here. You only told everyone you could. <laughs> that's rough. That's and pretty rough. Yeah. That's... That was like an extreme example of my entire childhood was like my dad was a dude that would do anything for a laugh. In, if it made you look like an idiot or if it made you embarrassed, it didn't matter as long as everyone was laughing. Yeah. So I have what my youngest daughter has in that where I'm like very uncomfortable in the butt of the joke position. I think anybody wouldn't want to come back in the room <laughs> to see a bunch of adults having just talked about their... Yeah. He spun it into a lesson of like, it's something that happens to everybody. You shouldn't be ashamed about it, which I appreciate as an adult and the theme of it. But in the moment, I was like, you're not... No, this is not cool, man. You're not on my side. <laughs> I, yeah. They can't come out of my room now. <laughs> It happens to everybody, uh, and whenever it happens to anyone, uh, the thing to do is to immediately tell everyone else present <laughs> and make a big thing All out right. of it. You're going to need to jerk off. I'm going to need to tell everybody. <laughs> They're the two rules. <laughs> they are the two rules of Blue Bulls. Um, oh, by the way, just so we give credit, uh, Peter McGraw and Joel Warner were the authors of The Human cool. Code. Uh, exciting stuff happened on Mars. Oh, yeah. Quite a few people sent this in. There's been a Mars quake. A Mars quake. Yeah, which is... The Mars version of an earthquake. It's uh, of course that's what you would call it. It just it doesn't sound right, though. Right? Yeah, it sounds very it sounds weird. Fake. But earthquake is. If you said Mars had an earthquake, it sounds better, but it makes no sense at all. Right. It's it's a uh, we've we've really owned the earthquake term. The quakings. The quakings. Then we got the be, quakes. Uh, yeah, we've successfully stamped our name on that. Uh, so this is the Insight Lander, right? That um, yeah, which is the American Space Agency's lander. That's the one that I went to the I went to JPL when they were doing the landing of it. So, the faint rumble was picked up by the probe sensors on the sixth of April, which is the hundred twenty eighth day Martian day or Sol of the mission. Yeah, I guess you call it a Sol. Yeah, in the Martian they call them that, right? I think you're right. Yeah. It's the first seismic signal detected on the surface of a planetary body other than the Earth and its moon. Scientists say the source for this Mars quake could either be movement in a crack inside the planet or shaking from a meteorite impact. Uh, NASA's InSight probe touched down on the red planet in November of last year, and Andy got to hang out. It was a star-studded event. I didn't see him, but I think Adam Savage... Oh, no, I saw him in passing. Adam Savage was there, Bill Nye. Friend of the show, Adam Savage? Yeah, friend, past guest Adam Savage. Oh, wow, that's a big one. That was a- Hopefully future guest Bill Nye. He was, uh, he was at Sketchfest. So always nice easier guy? to get. For, yeah, lovely guy. That's great. And then he hosts. He ha, his workshop and everything is up in San Francisco, and he hosts one of the after parties every so often. That yeah, Sketchfest. That's pretty ridiculous. That's so, insane. So they yeah. had an after party at his workshop, which is full of busted myths. Everything, yeah, and movie you memorabilia co- and like recreations yeah. of things. Some people just... tried to take some myths into the party, and they got busted right at the door. <laughs> You couldn't even set foot inside the building. A bit myth. Just, There's a, a just myth gone. checkpoint. Got the big Ghostbusters <laughs> no across a picture of yeah. a of a myth. What does a myth look like? How do you draw? How do you? Do well, a, I don't know because I was inside the party. Right, I just, I just a, saw like yeah, little flashes. Yeah. These, are, these are all done. They disappeared. It's um, yeah. His workshop is full of. I don't know whether you call it his hobby or his other job because it's sort of his hobby that's turned into a job. But he recreates as accurately as possible props from movies. That's what he did, right? Or he's stunt guy? Um, I actually, There's I something in the before movies before the show. The show. Like think, you were saying, I think it's, is that I what think you're it's saying? like a like props his, guy, but yeah, he'll... Like his he'll, hobby and job flipped. He'll make, yeah, and he'll make incredibly accurate versions of props from like Star Wars or from... Yeah. Uh, 
classic film and go like, oh, this is whatever like the key prop is in a film. Just a coffee cup yeah. from any cop movie. From any mm-hmm. cop movie yeah, and a donut next to it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to see what I mean. Wikipedia describes him as a special effects designer, fabricator, actor. Special educator. effects is what I was I was yeah. dancing around, but didn't nail it. But I don't know how long he was in that before he got into busting them myths. Uh, he worked on the model make as a model maker on Galaxy Quest, Bicentennial Man, Star Wars Episode Two. I didn't know that. Like he has a he has a perf, like an almost perfect reproduction of the Maltese Falcon from the Maltese Falcon movie. This is like a, the, this is a whole. Uh, um, is it is this a hobby? This what you're talking about, or is this is he making these to sell or to show? Or? No, I think it basically that's pretty he's just in, making. That's, that's what pretty he amazing. Does. Yeah, a lot of it was was hobby stuff. I'm trying to see if I can. Find I think it really is like this is his deep yeah. passion is to make these things as well as possible. Well, this, Do- he documents the process and then the lady from Stanford would say this is not his passion. Right. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> While you're looking that up, so the. The probe touched down in November last year. It aims to identify multiple quakes to help build a clearer picture of Mars's interior structure. Researchers can then compare this with Earth's internal rock layering to learn something new about the different ways these two worlds have evolved through the eons. Interestingly, insight scientists say the character of the rumble reminds them very much of the type of data the Apollo sensors gathered on the lunar surface. Astronauts installed five seismometers that measure thousands of quakes while operating on the moon between 69 and 77. Insight seismometer system incorporates French low frequency and British high frequency sensors. I don't, I don't know why. It's it's really weirdly. Why look, do you guys look, have high look, frequency? Look, look at the grammar of this. It, it sort of goes like, you you'd think you go like incorporates low frequency sensors brackets designed by the French yeah. and high frequency designed by the British. Right, so it goes like French brackets low frequency and British brackets high. <laughs> like those are the types That's, of sensor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we've got the French style. Which oh, is, is that the low, right? Yeah, yeah that's, that's the low. That's the low one, yeah. You've <laughs> that's, heard that's that music. What they, that's what they want people to do. Yeah, it, Eventually, they want to get rid of that low and high part altogether, and they just want everyone to know that the French only do low frequencies. <laughs> right, it's just the sense. There's that's one thing I detect. know about the French. They don't like a high frequency. No, low it, frequency kissing. It's because of all the smoking. Yeah. <laughs> just lowers every frequency they have. Uh, known as the Seismic Experiment for Interior Structure, SEIS, the instrument was lifted onto the Mars... Martian surface by the probe's robotic arms on the 19th of December, just in time for Christmas. Both parts of the system observed the 6th of April signal, although it wasn't possible to extract any information to make a more definitive statement about the likely source or distance from the probe to the event. It's probably only a magnitude 1 or 2 event, says Professor Tom Pike, perhaps within 100 kilometers or so. There are lots of uncertainties on that, but that's what it's looking like. By the way, it's at a level that if you live... Dr. Bruce Bernard, who's NASA's chief scientist on the mission, says if you live in Southern California, like I do, you wouldn't even notice this one in your day-to-day life. Jesus, Bruce, way to downplay it. <laughs> I know. It's kind of a big deal for other yeah, people. Here. But uh, since Mars is to... so quiet, this is something we're able to pick up with our instrument. It's a weird way to brag that you live in Southern California, too. <laughs> we wouldn't even feel that one. <laughs> well, you know, if you live in Southern California, like I do. If you're as close to Disney as I am. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, have, you, uh, have you heard of uh, the Beach Boys? Uh, you know, Malibu. If you live in Malibu. Like surfing in uh, <laughs> Hollywood. Uh, these poor people in Iowa would sure feel it, though. <laughs> he just doubles down on it. <laughs> Why did you have to tell just, I'm just saying. Jesus, I'm just saying. Bruce. As long as it doesn't happen know. right when they're gnawing on raw potatoes, which I presume <laughs> to be their only food. Because <laughs> they're yet to discover varieties or fire. Yeah. Oh, poor Iowans. 
Uh, I was just talking about this last night with some people. We were talking about whether there's going to be any end to the ridiculous um, housing prices down here. And we realize it's only going to come with an earthquake. Oh. <laughs> Suddenly there'll be tons of deals. Yeah. <laughs> the big one will hit. You'll be able to get a one bedroom for sub $2,000. It's getting insane. That my friend just moved to San Francisco. This may be common knowledge, but he moved to San Francisco and he's talking about they have you know the Google buses and it's oh, the yeah. free bus that just takes you to work. And he said they they're constantly like uh, adding stops and expanding the reach of this bus. And basically, the moment they put a new bus stop in, if they put a bus stop outside of your place, all the th- all the apartments and houses in that area just double or triple in cost. Oh shit, that makes sense. So you could live. He was basically looking. He's like, we're looking at kind of the outskirts where there aren't any stops and it's insanely expensive. And if we all of a sudden our lease is out and they put a stop up, we just, we just, we just have to keep moving. They'll yeah. just end up being back in LA at some point. Right, right. God, that never occurred to me. That would be instant. Just yeah, the bus stop, knows. the moment it happens, these like, it's up. Everything's gone. Suddenly a Google employee can would find that area desirable and yeah. they have more money than you. So good luck. Damn. Double or triple, that's absurd because... For the difference in that money, you could just get an Uber to work. Yeah, you got, that's what he's doing. He's moving out of the reach of that. I think um, I was. I think it was last year, maybe it was 2017, but it was there was one home in the city of San Francisco that sold for less than a million dollars, and it was nine hundred ninety thousand dollars, and it was a studio. A condo that was a one room no, that no. needed completely redone. It was like <laughs> a room. that's the only thing you could buy for less than one million dollars. Million dollar room. God, I don't get how this is. Yeah, I, I so, can't see it continuing. How could it? It's where I come from in Southern Illinois. You would it would it would be like a joke amount to say that a house could cost a million dollars. Yeah, it would it would be a thing you would get. You would say it and it would get a laugh of like, right. hey, what are you going to buy, a million dollar home? Oh, this, is, this fucking guy's got a good sense of humor. He should be a comedian. Oh, yeah, you got some uh, clearance above your head for your top hat and uh, <laughs> your monocle. Yeah. I think the act, the most expensive house in my hometown today is probably $300,000. And that is a massive amount of land with a pond and a giant house. It's like, that's what's, what you can get. What's the city called or the area called? It's called Benton, Illinois. Benton, Illinois. Granted, if you had, I think if you're not going to choose to live there, if you had, you had the 300k, yeah, in the, the little the opioids and the meth have moved in, Ugh. and it has become a uh, a bit of a rough area. I love it, I guess, but 300 grand, you can have it. I mean, <laughs> you can't argue with 300 grand, or can you? Yeah, I don't know. If you're, I mean, if you start to sell opioids or meth, <laughs> you could do really well and live in that house. Well, maybe maybe op- that's the secret is to really try and flood LA with opioids. <laughs> and if the opioid bus adds a stop in front of your place, suddenly oh, it's God. doubled in It doubled in tents. Yeah. I follow this musician who I guess day, day jobs as a realtor on Instagram, and he'll be inside houses, and he'll post stats on them. And it, every time I see him, it looks like he's making fun of how ridiculous <laughs> it all is. But you know, I, these are real things, like the one he just posted today. Open house today, $1.2 million on Wilton Place. Five bedroom, three bath, 3,300 square feet. Actually, that's not, that's not that bad. That's what I would expect. And he says, here's your breakdown. 1.2 million. That's 240,000 down, 6,000 a month. Oh, my God. That, 
maybe we can buy a $1.8 million house thanks to the kind donations. People have gone to probablyscience.com and clicked the uh, PayPal button, the donation thing, and we got some people to thank. Including William Bagley, Becky Grady, Trevor L. Hubbard, Sean Gordon, David Worth's Destruction Lane, Robert Condon, John Clarici, Bryson Rhodes, David Geelan, Jacob Rochester, Charles Tyler, Oren Harris, Karen Bieber, and Brooks Gilmore all have recurring donations set up through PayPal. And then uh, Jay Roth sent us a nice one-off donation. Thank you, Jay. And then i got a couple of others that have come in since you last checked that it's not loading up. Jake Swenson. Thank you very much, Jake. Thank you. This should go quicker. Daniel Monson. R.L. Kappa, Drew Chapman, Pandora Young, and Callum Gleason. Thank you, all of you. By the way, if you've donated and you haven't heard your name shouted out recently, and you're like, what the hell? What's going on? Give us a shout. Remind yeah. us. We, somehow we've jumped over the email by accident. So thank you very much if you donated and yes. you've never heard a shout out to you. And we've got some Patreon people to thank next time. Yep. But thank you very much. ProbablyScience.com, donation button. That helps us keep this thing running. And buying and burning $1.8 million house. We should stop doing that, I know. Andy. Why do we keep doing that? It's just a hard habit to break. It <laughs> really is. Just once you do it hard. the first time, it's like, God, it's so fun watching it, it burn. My so daughter and I were, uh, She we went to the LPGA uh, event the other day. She, I just wanted to see if she liked golf. So we went and we, then there's these bird Uber scooters outside. So she talks me into doing that. Uh, it. I just, standing there with my phone out was the hardest part, I think, of like all the cars knowing that I'm about to get on the scooter. Uh-huh. But then when we were on it, it was way more fun than we thought. My daughter loved it. I did one in Australia. It's way more fun than you think. And then there's an open house, so we just get off to, you know, like we're having a field trip and we walk in this house. It was $1.8 million and it's it was a big piece of property, but it was literally... You the entire inside had to be redone. Oh, so God. it's a one point eight million dollar fixer upper. That seems like there's <laughs> that's we've gotten too far now. That can't be the number. Mm. That's uh yeah things bad. That's really b- there was a time when I thought I could maybe put in an offer on the house where I used to live where we used to record, and then of course when they sold it even without any work I think it sold for like one point five million. Did you ever go to any pool parties at that house or any- no? It was Andy's old... Up in Valley Village. Uh, I think it was a good size lot, spot. the house itself was like weirdly laid out. And but it was a, you just it, rented the house? No, I rented a room. You know, Jesse Case, original or one of the original hosts, um, he was already living in it when I moved down here, and there were two other just weird guys in the house. And I, I, when I visited, I was like, this is a pretty great house with the pool and everything. If anything ever opens up, let me know. Yeah. And then a bedroom opened up, and I lived there for five years with Jesse wow. and these two old guys. <laughs> It was uh, listeners to the show have been with us all these years. I've heard many uh, a strange story about those guys. Um, but yeah, it was great. And, you know, the rent was reasonable. But um, if you did buy it, you'd have to. In fact, someone did buy it and they tore down that pool house and built this like three story mansion on that side part of it. That, I mean, that makes sense. Every other every other house on that street had been turned into a mansion. Yeah. And this was still like the only one that still had the yeah. sort of That's a uh, bummer. early 19th century architecture. Sorry, 18, 20th century, rather. Yeah. Early, <laughs> early 1900s. Yeah. Built in 1805. This is a Notre Dame chapel. By the way, as someone coming from Britain, not weird in the slightest, but it's so... <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess that's... It's so... Yeah, whereas in America, the idea of a house being more than 100 years that's old amazing. is just baffling. I've never even thought about that. For here, it's like, this house is 60 years old. Yeah. Can you imagine living in a house that's 60 years old? Whereas, have you... Have you, have you do you have friends who live in like 200 year old houses? 
It depends on where you are, but there are definitely like old London terraces that are old, and and also when I was at university, I was in one of the newer buildings, but some of my friends were in a building that was hundreds of years old. Those are like stone buildings. Right? Yeah. Like, are there any other wood things that are 200 years old that are in good shape? Or uh, is that even Britain possible? doesn't really do wooden architecture. So that's much more oh. of an American thing. I I think I'm trying, I could be, there could be people screaming at their earphones or yeah. car stereos right now, but I can't <laughs> think, I can't think of, unless you get like old sort of, cottages and mm-hmm. <laughs> even like Tudor has the wood on the outside but I don't think it's well I think it's still got brick they took the uh, three okay. little pigs approach <laughs> yeah no straw no wood right is that what it was straw then wood then bricks I think it was straw then wood then bricks if I'm not mistaken yeah the br- and the bricks stood yeah straw was never gonna work Who's- that was just pure laziness was that the moral he's, of the story is don't be a lazy pig He's builder? operating out of fear. I think it was the story because that was the easiest and uh, okay. the sticks were second easy. Was it a... Yeah, he blew over the sticks. And but the, were, were the two first two lazy? Yeah, I don't know what the actual yes, moral was. I think if so. there was a moral to it. Like if something's worth doing, it's worth doing right kind of. Let's look up Three Little Pigs moral. It is an, it is an interesting moral in the sense of the... Harder working pig with the bricks taking longer. Had the wolf gone to his house first, it would have not been built, and he could have just eaten him. Good question. There's the time cost of the yeah. higher quality construction. <laughs> you get what you pay for. Yeah, the primary moral is a uh, hard work and dedication pay off. Well, also luck because the wolf went straw first. Went straw. Yeah, but, but then again, you got a straw house. You're inviting the wolf almost. Yeah, he just used those other two as distractions. Mm-hmm. They end up in his house, in his brick house. They all come over after they I think the, the wolf blows their down. house down and he, they run to the next one. Isn't the moral of the story just have a friend who have works a harder friend. than you? Yeah, it's the, uh, you don't want a boat, you want a friend with a boat. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's the real moral. It's just like, you can slack off because someone else is going to take up yeah. the slack. I, unless you tell that story that the wolf just tears that first pig limb from limb. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Blood, just innards, guts. Just like puts his head on a, on a piece of straw <laughs> as an example to the other pigs. and Yeah. Yeah, okay, so all, you get medieval houses in the UK made out of oak, mm-hmm. and Tudor houses have timber framing but still have bricks and p- brick and plaster. And then contemporary UK timber houses, yeah, more for like holiday homes and like sort of log cabin, mm-hmm. like it's yeah. a thing. But it's not not like when you go to the Midwest and there's just house craftsmen after craftsmen made out of wood. Yeah, yeah. That's my stepdad's thing. He's just built. He's built houses his whole life, and they're all, I would say, wood, and then mostly wood, some bricks here. But yeah. it's just that's the that's the way we do it. Uh, it works. You know what isn't as long lasting and comfortable as we thought? Soil. Oh yeah. And it could be fucking up the climate. Climate change can't be halted if we carry on degrading the soil. Says a report that's about to come out. Is this the, about peeing outside? Yeah, it's exactly mm-hmm. what it is. And uh, there's three times more carbon in the soil than in the atmosphere, but that carbon is being released by deforestation and poor farming, which is fueling climate change and compromising our attempts to feed a growing world population. Problems include soils being eroded, compacted by machinery, built over, or harmed by overwatering. Hurting the soil affects the climate in two ways. It compromises the growth of plants taking in carbon from the atmosphere, and it releases soil carbon previously stored by worms taking leaf matter underground. I didn't know that was how soil carbon gets stored. I did not know that either. Worms are apparently doing a lot of good work. The warning comes from the awkwardly named... It's a bit weird I, editorial. I, I, why would you do that? IPBES. Ipbes. 
the Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, which is a panel studying the benefits of nature to humans. It's not awkward at all. Yeah. It was a fine name. I don't think it's any more awkward than many scientific acronyms. I mean, it does at first glance look like iPubes. Like, oh, you think? Steve Jobs okay. just interesting. Oh, IP best. Yeah. Do you, just with like one letter falling <laughs> off. Have you seen that stat that, like, I think it's 15 or 20 of the largest freight ships in the country or in the world put out more uh, pollution than all of the cars? No. Yeah. Really? I I haven't heard something like that. You, seems... Why don't you look that up while I carry on with the story? Because that does sound, <laughs> it's remarkable, but not impossible. There's, they don't have, a, there's no governing body on them. Right. Oh, really? I, I would have thought... Just whoever, whatever their their like home base is. Po- they don't have a home base, but so like at the port, like just I think very recently, Long Beach mm-hmm. made them um, go electric at the port. They used to just run, just keep running there all the whole twenty four seven. But now when they port, they have to shut off the engines and go electric. But uh, it's it's a it's insane thing. It's, it's like the soil thing. It's like, well, are we just done? Should we quit? <laughs> Uh, you were totally right, by the way. You had the numbers. Uh, pretty much, world's biggest 15 ships create more pollution than all cars in the world. That is astonishing. 15 ships Good more work. pollution than One all of the cars. Than all of the... If, car- if this Guardian report is to, believed, which is to be believed, which is mentioned in this article. I even, thought, so. by the way, even if that stat is off by two orders of magnitude, it's still, it's still absurd. Yeah. So yeah, they said just one of the world's largest container ships can emit about as much as pollution as 50 million cars. <laughs> 50 million. Yeah. It's, I mean, how? how, how I, I don't understand that. Yeah. Sorry, you were saying that, Matt? There, there's uncertainty about the exact level of global soil degradation. Uh, the, thin, the thin layer... Governments have focused on climate change far more than they focus on loss of biodiversity or land degradation. All three are important to human well-being. The thin layer of soil covering the Earth's surface represents the difference between survival and extinction for most terrestrial life, says Professor Jane Rickson (laughs) from Cranfield University. Only 3% of the planet's surface is suitable for arable production, and 75 billion tons of fertile soil is lost to land degradation every year. She says soil forms at a ratio of one... At a rate of one centimeter in three hundred years. So soil... It's not that fast. How about that guy's a real bummer when he's drunk at a party? (laughs) (laughs) Who is it? Oh, it's Jane. It's always a woman by the looks of it. Wasn't things. the guy that just said the... Wasn't it a man that just said the 3% thing? Oh, that's Professor Sir Bob Watson. Bob. Yeah. I don't want to hang with About that About 3.2 billion people worldwide are suffering from degraded soils. <laughs> it's it. Uh, and the major hotspots for, for it are reported to be in South America, where forests are being felled, sub-Saharan Africa, India, and China. Soil scientists in both the biggest Asian nations are worried their ability to grow their own food may be compromised. In the U.S., some soils are being restored as forests take over. Poor quality land previously worked by small farmers, but others are still being degraded. The U- even the U.K. is not immune. Some maize fields in southwest England suffer major soil loss with heavy rainfall because growing maize leaves bare soil exposed. Is maize different from corn or just what they're calling corn in this? Uh, I, I think that was just another word for corn. Is that Look different? it up. You might be right. Heavy I've, rain. Yeah, it feels right. Heavy rain is more likely under climate change. Erosion is also a long-standing issue in the fertile fens, where on dry, windy days, peaty soil particles sometimes form a kind of smog called the fen blow. Peat has a high carbon content, and recent papers suggest there's far more carbon being lost from peatlands than previously thought. On the chalky hills of southern England, 
Chemical intensive crop farming is said to have caused the loss of over a foot of soil in some places. Yeah, we all know crops are grown in soil, but soils are important for climate change as well. I wouldn't have realized that. I would have thought just soil erosion is bad because that just means le- fewer plants and fewer plants means less absorption of the carbon dioxide from that. But apparently the soil itself eroding is just releasing. That's insane. We're going to need a meteor. Yeah. Or this is going to, it's going to be a long, slow death of the humans. Let me just put it out there. Did Thanos maybe have a good idea? I I'm uh I will say this. I'm I'm a week into not seeing any spoilers. Oh okay. I, this is from Infinity and War. And then I the but, one before this. So I saw the one before this yeah. and uh I'm going to see the next one like tomorrow the next day whenever it doesn't matter. But I saw the last one, Infinity Infinity War, yeah. And I went to see it because I thought it was the end of everything. It does sound I'd, that name. Sounds I had like only the end. seen a couple of the movies, and I was like, you know what? This is such a big world, and it's so exciting. I'm gonna go. So I thought for the entirety of that movie that that was the last of it. Mm-hmm. And when um, he it happens, I'm assuming everyone has seen it at this point. He does it. He kills off the people, and he's just sitting in this chair for 30 seconds. I was like. That's a real fucked up way to end this thing, man. That was crazy. $20 billion in uh, like, 22 movie, 21 movies, I guess it'd be that point, yeah. And then just done. Yeah, just, wow, just everyone's dead. That's yep. great. That's that's a wrap, folks. Good work. <laughs> so you haven't seen the new one yet? No. You, did did you watch uh, go. Game should. of Thrones, any of the big cultural phenomena of the last weekend? I'm off on Game of Thrones. I'm in... Uh, my plane, I just talked to my friend. He does. He's doing it. He just. He's into the second season. And he has a thing where he's like, I just watch it when I'm doing something active or productive. So it's like a treadmill. Okay. Or he uh, has a mail. He has to mail out stuff for uh, his mailing list. It's Chad Daniels, very funny comedian. Oh, yeah. So he has this rule where it's like I have to be doing something productive or physical. And I'm, I think I'm going to just do that with Game of Thrones That's and idea. try to watch all of that. Not a bad just idea. have. There'll definitely be times where you'll find yourself running faster than you plan to. <laughs> And you are caught up at I, I don't watch. I'm it, up. But, yeah. I'm up to speed yeah. on all that. But I think we should. I. I still think there are people listening to this who aren't be. So let. Oh, no, I wasn't going to do any spoilers. Good, I, I just good think words, there, Matt. It's been a funny weekend of just like seeing everyone lose their collective minds over these two things Thanks. that I'm not that invested in. I'm. I'm. I'm all in on Veep. I'm all caught up on Veep. That's my. <laughs> Is that that's the our, final season that's coming our Sunday. Up that yeah, too? yeah. So that's overshadowed by a thousand because it's the same night and the same channel as Game of Thrones. Right. So I, I'm, I'm with my wife. We watch it every week, and it's our favorite show. And I'm like, "Are we the only ones left? Because this is a real uh, Game of Thrones country now." Everyone keeps saying it's like the funniest comedy. I haven't. Uh, I think it's, it's very good. Episode. It's the funniest. I think it's maybe the most perfect comedy. Also, really? the perfect uh, cast comedy. I am behind on it since I haven't seen any of. I haven't seen much of it since Armando Iannucci left, and it's the different crew took over. You know what? It. Um, you can you notice it, but it's still really really good, and it's right. still this that uh, Armando Iannucci pace. Yeah, I tried feels, to watch his other show. It feels show. like the writing did change slightly, where it just became more American. You can notice it yes. being more American sitcomy in a way that's really hard to pin down. But it's not. I uh, I don't think of it as American sitcomy in the negative connotation. Right, but it does feel different because I tried to watch Iannucci's The Thick of It. The, the Thick of It, right? Right. And uh, it's the Veep is crazy fast, and that is the same pace. It's super fast, but I don't. There's a little bit of an accent and um, kind of uh, just references the reference. So I get lost so quickly 
the just the slang and references, I'm just like, I don't, I'm gone. It's yeah. So it's the hardest comedy to follow when you're not in when the you're thick not, of it. Yeah, when you're not from that country and intimately yeah. aware of at least the things that they're taking off. Hey, uh, Tommy. Yeah. Where can I? We should wrap this up. But where can our listeners find you and your podcast and your touring and everything? Our podcast is wherever podcasts are. It's called the Local News. We could do a crossover episode because we find local news stories from across the country and around the globe that are not are the their tagline is uh the news that won't make you sad so we just find local stories Great. that are not political or pop culture and uh we do some science stories but it's generally just me being mad at this uh study i just don't love a study that has like very um speaking from a factual way when they talk to 100 people oh well there's also <laughs> there is a subset of fake science Really, or at least, or at least tenuous science, where yeah. a PR company has paid an out of work or an underworked, like associate professor somewhere, okay. to go. Can you do a study very quickly that's vaguely on this thing, and, oh. then, we'll, and then we'll seed it into the newspapers and go like the study, uh, funded by Cadbury's Dairy Milk, oh, has shit. shown that. Or like uh, Thompson's Holidays has found that the best day, the best day of the year to go on vacation <laughs> right, right, right. is the fourth of May or whatever. It I is. just need to find out a way to pick those out. And it, you can nearly always tell because they'll be picked up by a bunch of different papers. It gets fed through. It'll be on all of like the Daily Mail, but also BuzzFeed and all the local papers. And somewhere in the article, it'll mention who's funding the study, and it'll always be a company. It'll nearly always oh, be like. Oh, st- I'll keep the lookout for that. Yeah, the the. The study uh, funded by, and it'll always be, it's basically a way that this company can get some free advertising in a newspaper. Yeah, oh, that, that makes sense. We've gotten busted once, not busted, I just got annoyed at, because it's not all science, it's, we're you know, stories, just whether it's a newspaper or a local news station, and then sometimes just, it'll you'll find something online, mm-hmm. and I, there was one about the the bride that was like charging everyone to... Uh, go to her wedding and she wanted no one no one could be thinner than her and it was this like brutal story and it was went super viral and then i look and there's no names yeah and there's no and i was like oh this is just someone out there just writes stories and chucks them into the internet and then yeah you pick them up on your bride magazine and it goes viral yeah and there are ways to even there are people who specialize in that of just they know which small blogs they can place a story and yeah. they'll get picked up by a big blog they'll then get picked up by a local newspaper they'll then get picked up by a national it's and so somehow gross. suddenly <laughs> suddenly your, your bullshit story is being read out on like MSNBC yeah. or something and you it's it, amazing they can't figure out just to fake it you gotta have some names you can't have just a woman like, say a it's name it's not a real article it's never gonna be that yeah. it would never be published in a real thing if it didn't have a name but just make it's up remarkable. a name. Yeah. So that's the local news of the podcast. The local news, uh, and then we're local news pod on Twitter, and then I'm just at Tommy Jonigan. And you've got a bunch of like albums and stuff out. And- I have three albums on iTunes and some stuff out there. So I'm writing uh, on a show right now, so I don't have any tour dates, but it's still I'm on the internet. Go and see Tommy when yeah. he does tour near you. I highly recommend it. You can find us at probably science. Probablyscience.com is the website where you can also find the links to any stories we cover and our donation button. Yeah, we are on uh, Twitter individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. Mm-hmm. Facebook slash Probably Science is a Facebook page. Probablyscience at gmail.com for any questions, comments, clarifications, stories you'd like us to cover. And uh, we will get to all the uh, donors and patrons next oh, week. Oh, we think we should do that afterwards and then just edit it in. Okay. Uh, and... 
Uh, Andy, you got any gigs coming up that we should know about? We had to cancel this month's Guilty Treasure, unfortunately, for a gig. But um, early June, I think June 5th, we'll have Guilty Treasure at Hotel Cafe. Do that. And I think I can say this now. I'm going to be at Glastonbury. Um, on I don't know my exact stage time yet, but I know some of you are there. I'm going to be there at some point on the Sunday. Nice. Uh, I don't know what time. But that's it'll August? Be a, when is it? That's the last weekend of June. Oh. So I'll be on the, they call it the cabaret stage, because I'll also have the occasional juggler and other thing. Excellent. But yeah, go to the theatre and circus area, cabaret stage, some point on Sunday, I'll be there. Nice. Unless there's a band you want to see that clashes, go and see that instead, because it'll be better. All right, do that. Yep. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy.